Welcome to Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe, where we explore humanity in all of its realms. Today we have in the studio Connor White. Welcome, Connor. Hello, Jill. How are you? I am doing so wonderful. Um, I was thinking about how we met. It has to have been before 2020. It would have been... No, I think it was actually... 2020 because I remember I was out to lunch with some co-workers from the job that I took in 2020. Oh, I thought I stayed home all 2020. <laughs> That's why I'm confused. Okay, well, we, we met somewhere at, at least two years ago. Literally, it was kind of a star-crossed lovers moment, I think. Oh, what does that mean? We met at the Cubbies. It was just meant to be. Like, oh, yeah. That was such a strange way to meet a stranger. And the fact that we got so much momentum off of one little interaction like that. Yeah. It was just meant to be. So we met in Cubbies in Lehigh, Utah. Mm -hmm. And I think I went to get a drink refill or Connor. That's where we met, like by the Mm -hmm. drink machine. I saw saw this woman inside the Cubbies and she was wearing a giant rainbow sweater. (laughs) And then you had some type of uh, rainbow jewelry on her hand. I was like, oh, an ally. I'll say hi to her. Oh, so it was (laughs) pre-planned. thought it was so spontaneous oh well no i saw you and i walked up to you i was like for some reason i was like i'm just gonna say hi to her sometimes i do that Uh uh-huh um but i can't remember i must have complimented your sweater your jewelry or something and you said something back that i thought was are you gay yeah and i responded yes i am yeah you were so excited (laughs) and i'm like uh i did not ask you that i did not ask if you were gay so (laughs) so but that's how it all started that's how i came out that was my coming out story i'd never been asked before i'm just kidding yeah so that was fun and he went off with his friends and i went out with my friends and then a few months later we swapped numbers yeah cubbies and draper like we are yeah and now we're doing this podcast yeah so i know a little bit of connor's story but i'm sure i'm going to learn a lot more about you today on this podcast and like I tell all my guests it's now your time and I just have the privilege of being in the same room great um I feel like just to start I feel like I've had to do a lot of acceptance in kind of like honoring my own story sometimes I feel that parts of my story were too easy my coming out or that Maybe they're too similar to other people's, but the more that I've done to just really honor the experiences that I've gone through, um, I think I've been able to pull more truth out of it and just realize that there are really unique aspects to my story. And that's why it's so important to keep hearing other people's story and other people's coming out stories. And there's just kind of, we all get a different little facet that we get to explore more fully. So. Hopefully, some of those things will come to light today as I tell the story. Um, I am originally from Utah County. I grew up in Orem for 10 years. And then when I was 15, my family moved to Highland. Um, I went to American Fork High School. I was born in the LDS Church, and I do come from a multi-generational LDS family. Very strong members on both my mother and my father's side. Um, and that was just kind of, uh, our way of life and, um, you know, growing up in Orem first, very family friendly town. And I felt it as a kid, I, I felt very comfortable in Orem. 
um, really liked my friends growing up, really um, had a good family growing up, lots of siblings, and my parents were really good to me. Um, I never, like looking back, I can see now different signs of how I was gay or how I was queer when I was younger, but it didn't really cross my mind in bigger ways until later. Um, the first time I ever remember getting asked if I was gay was in seventh grade. I was sitting at lunch with some friends and probably about six of us and a boy from across the table just out of the blue said, Connor, are you gay? And I had never even thought about it before. And, you know, as a seventh grader, that kind of thing kind of catches you off guard. You don't really have the emotional intelligence to handle it in a mature way. But I just said no. And did you did you know what like that meant? Like I did. I did, you know, and um, I knew. I knew for a long time growing up that I have some visual cues about me (laughs) that make me look gay. (laughs) And honestly, I'm very at peace with them now, but I have kind of an effeminate way of moving and I definitely have the genetically gay wrists that are just like so flimsy and I kind of cock my hip out a little too much. Just little things like that. Um, I did have some family members as I was growing up always correcting my body language. And so that is something I became aware of really quickly, even in elementary school, was my body language. And it was never said, um, but like we did use the term fruity or fruitcake growing up. And that was like the closest we could get to it. But as a concept, we knew exactly what that meant as a family, a fruitcake, right? Or and, fruity. You, and you just sort of stayed away from that? Yeah, I, I, I knew from a really young age that was something you did not want to be, right? You're the butt of jokes, you're emasculated, um, you're just kind of like, no one likes that, right? It's something to make fun of. Um, so from a young age, I did do certain things to sort of posture myself, you know, whether it was kind of correcting my body language or um, trying to talk in a certain timbre of voice or kind of being shy about my hobbies and stuff. You know, I ended up doing um, a lot of drama activities and musical theater. And I was the drama president in high school, which is like a very gay in a lot of ways. <laughs> but, um, My biggest thing, I think, was just like um, when I when I did start to really consider, like, am I gay? I wanted it to be for me. I wanted to really know for myself that that's what it was and not that I was just getting pushed into that just because I move my wrist a certain way or just because I'm obsessed with Mariah Carey or whatever. All these little like um, superficial things that we point to to reason why someone's gay, you know? I was always like, maybe I just like that thing genuinely, you know? Um, And so that's, I sort of interrupted you when you're talking about the seventh grade when your friend asked you that and you said no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that that was um, kind of like a quickening where I got more nervous that people were going to think I was gay. And genuinely, I was not hiding the fact that I was gay because I hadn't even really considered it, right? 
But I was very concerned with being man enough, definitely. That's something that is kind of like a running theme throughout my youth, for sure. And even now, you know, still thinking about that concept, but um, was really concerned with feeling emasculated. I didn't play sports, um, was really into my clothing all the time, uh, always hung out with a bunch of girls, which people call me a ladies' man. I was like, no, I just love women. And <laughs> yeah. that's what I prefer most of the time <laughs> to hang out with. Um, but, uh, you know, just like even my body, I'm not a big muscular person and like not being involved in sports and things like that, that, that are classic um, male activities. I wouldn't say I was like insecure about some of those things, but I but I was very concerned with how I was being perceived and right. um, just kind of like slowly learning over time as you know, you're going through, through puberty and your friends are getting stronger and looking like more and more like men and um i always felt like skinnier and uh just kind of had the body of someone i didn't perceive as super masculine right i don't look like the poster boy for testosterone um but that was something that um i was concerned with all the time so when my friend asked me that um that's when i thought oh wow, like people are going to be noticing this more. Like, what did I do? Right. Did he see the hand? Did he see the hip? Did he hear the voice, right? Um, did he hear Katy Perry playing from my iPod? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Always. Um, so that was just something that I um, was thinking of a lot growing up. So when we start getting towards the end of high school um, and it was uh, time to go on a mission, so I was really old for my grade. Um, it was actually the very first weekend that I was in the MTC that um, they made the age change. Oh, okay. uh, we were watching General Conference in the MTC, which was really interesting actually, just because there was such a gasp because you're seeing an audience with all missionaries at the MTC, right? But I was really old for my grade, so I went on a mission four months after I graduated. Um, I've actually never told this part super publicly before, but I am comfortable sharing it. Um, so because I had had people make so many comments like, oh, are you gay and stuff? I just came to this point where I was like, I want to know, is that really what I am? Or is this like the power of suggestion, right? Because I was very involved as a Mormon. Um, like to my heart, to my soul, in my mind, my private moments, I was Mormon. Mm -hmm. um, very religious person in the very mental way that a lot of us can take on, right? Um, I wasn't just showing up to things to be seen by others. I was taking those scriptures of like protect every thought very literally, where you're just kind of um, hyper vigilant about the way that you think about things, right? which can be a tricky area because um, a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to kind of explore new ideas because we position it as like a dirty thought or like, and that's not even just like sex things, but like new ideas. Like, hmm, maybe, uh, maybe Joseph Smith in the first vision didn't happen. Like we don't even allow ourselves to go there because we'd be bad for thinking that, right? So, um, I decided that um, the only way I was going to figure out if I was gay or not was to do something about it. 
So I was thinking I was going to um, like have a physical experience with someone. So um, I ended up coordinating a couple different experiences like that. Um, and I hated it. I'd already had my mission call and stuff and um, I didn't like it at all. Um, and my reaction to all that was um, enthusiasm and joy. I was like, this is great. I'm not gay. I tried it. I know now, right? Mm -hmm. So next time someone's like, oh, you're gay little wrist, you're gay little whatever, I can just confidently say, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I've seen my wrist move that way too, but like, I'm really not gay. I know, right? Right. I would never tell them I tried it, but um, there was one time on my mission that I got confronted by a different missionary who actually came out to me on my mission and the reason why he felt comfortable doing that um, is he started the conversation with how do you do it and I was like how do I do what and he's he said how do you do your mission so well yet you're gay and I was like I'm not gay <laughs> Oh, I wish I wish this was a visual at this point. Uh, he just used his wrist <laughs> to say, "I'm not gay." You I'm not what? gay. Let's talk about wrists. Honestly, <laughs> like the human wrist, it's the most expressive thing on the planet. Like, think of how many animals can't do this. If you can't see me right now, I'm just twirling my wrist around. I'm gonna try. Of course, I'm gonna like. Don't you love that you can just <laughs> say things in different ways, and you're not one of these people that moves your wrists like this? <laughs> I do like it. Um, but yeah, I. I was very convinced on my mission. People ask me all the time, oh, did you question your sexuality on your mission? No, I didn't. Yeah, what did what did you say to that elder that asked you? Um, I think so, it was pretty nice. I'm kind of surprised back then. Oh, you, you did say, oh, I'm not gay. Yeah, I said I wasn't gay. But um, it's okay if you're gay. Yeah, I did. I said, you know, like, have you talked to the mission president about this and all that kind of stuff, but I definitely didn't condemn him which I'm a little surprised at myself just because I was pretty self-righteous back then um, but that was an interesting case because I think of my mindset back then I was I didn't even feel defensive of my behavior or the idea that he thought I was gay because I just kind of I just kind of knew like oh yeah I'm not gay but I also was like self-aware of the things about me that make me seem gay it was this really funny spot in my life where I was kind of it was like a nice level of self-acceptance at that point in my life you know I'm kind of an effeminate man but I'm not gay that's how I knew myself for a little bit um and we can talk about this uh maybe later too but uh one thing I well let's just talk about it right now something that I do find really interesting about the coming out experience is when I think of my uh, junior high and high school self when I started getting really hyper vigilant about positioning myself as like I don't want to give anyone any reason to ever think I was gay right if it's the hip if it's the hands if it's whatever hair body face um, then I was going to do what I could to kind of hide it right um, one thing that I knew but took me years later to be able to verbalize is that <laughs> sorry <laughs> we're always ready when he laughs <laughs> what's I just up think this is hilarious about me i have a very flamboyant personality 
like when I'm talking to people, when I'm joking around, I am just, I have that kind of personality. And even back then, I knew that my very personality was kind of gay. And so I would tone it down around a lot of people because I was like, oh, I can't be too funny. I can't be too loud. I can't be too rambunctious because that all gets uh, associated with flamboyance, which is always associated with queerness, right? So um, again, it's kind of an end of conversation topic in some ways because what I want to emphasize is how coming out does so much for the individual as far as liberation. And for me, not only did I allow myself to finally be set free in like a sexual and a romantic way, but my personality has just blossomed because I finally gave myself permission to be my whole self personality wise because so much of it I was limiting because I didn't want to be perceived as gay. And that's something that I, I want people to understand is that, you know, oh, you're gay, gray. Like, why do you have to tell everyone about it? You don't realize how much holding yourself back in one area that is authentically you, and this could go for anything, not just sexual orientation, it, it limits yourself in a full picture type of way, right? I think that it's really when we flesh ourselves out in every area of life that we can, that we, we keep giving the other areas of our self permission to keep growing too. So that's why stunting one little area can just hold back everything else. And it's kind of like a floodgates type of thing when when I came out for me at least. Um, anyway, so. You were saying, and I wanna, I wanna validate that. I mean, I saw the difference in my own son when he came out, you know. It, I don't think individuals or people understand when you're pretending or playing a role to be someone that you're not, how it's just sort of damning. The growth has stopped, but once you do come out of the closet, like you just said, and it just, how it's, it has to just be so liberating. And, and like, I love how you said, it's not just sexuality. It can be a belief system. It can be, it can be a lot of things. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I have a lot of straight friends who, um, have left the LDS church and there are a lot of similar phases I watch them go through as someone who comes out, even though they're not dealing with sexual orientation, um, they are dealing with what we can boil down to is just like a part of themselves that they were not being true to and then holding themselves back. I do feel that um, I feel that a religious belief um, system, it does do good things, but in other ways it can really limit a person's growth because they decide to put themselves in a box and tell themselves that growing outside of this box is bad and I'm not approved by God if I grow outside of this box, right? Yeah. So what happens when you hit the edge of the box? Yeah. What do you do? Just kind of float there forever? Yeah. It's 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 a hard decision a lot of people have to make. Yeah. So um so you were talking about um I'm I'm really listening to you so I know you are. I'm going to like re- rewind cuz you were talking about the difference between being in junior high and then high school where yeah. in high school were you giving yourself more permission to be Connor? It it sounds like you still were in denial that you were gay. Mhm. 
You know, I think that I, um, you know, I had a happy time in high school. When I think of high school me, um, I had really good friends. Um, I had some really great teachers. And when I think of high school, I genuinely think of drama and musical theater. That was kind of like what my world revolved around. I had a really important drama teacher um, that was just a great Do you want to give him a shout out? Yes, I do. Neil Johnson. (laughs) Neil, you're you're in the house. (laughs) In the house. No, Neil is so great. Um, He really mentored me and um, kind of lifted me out of um, probably my first depression and uh, just kind of showed me again like how bright I was and how much I had to offer everyone. And that's that's definitely a turning point in high school for me. It was when um, his name, we call him Jay, when Jay um, made me be the drama president for my senior year. It just really empowered me to be good, to do good things and see myself in a good light. So really appreciate him. But as far as, um, as far as like sexual orientation and stuff, I was, I was very um, like, not concerned with relationships in junior high or high school was not the type of person that was looking for a girlfriend um was not trying to hook up with people very friend-based person so even in that regard i was not considering my sexuality um just because i didn't really care i had a very uh mormon mindset of don't date until you're 16. um my family had some uh, cash incentives for not uh, kissing someone by certain ages. So I was oh, like, well, I got that in the bag. We'll be getting those. We'll be getting those checks. I mean, how would they monitor that? <laughs> Honestly, just the honor system. I was. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, like one thing about me, I do not lie. I was I was a very honest high schooler even. Like I do think you have to um, take like gay questions out of that mix because you shouldn't ever ask someone a question they're not ready to answer yet right are you gay and then they say no um but yeah i i didn't kiss anyone until i was like 18 um and that's when some of those incentives uh stopped so then i kissed a girl after that I just have to have a question. So oh, would you do. get incentives like every other year? Like <laughs> what if you were 40 and never kissed anyone? Would you have a nice inheritance with this? This point? is probably, this can end up being the juiciest part of this podcast. <laughs> so um, we were at the time, I'm not sure if they still do this because I do have an 18 year old and 16 year old brother right now. Um, but we were offered a certain amount of money when we turned 16, if we hadn't kissed anyone and then 17 if we still hadn't and then 18 but 18 is where it stopped after 18 it was like please why, can't, why couldn't you wait till 18 and a half <sighs> honestly i know um <laughs> but after that it was like please go kiss somebody so that, oh. like we don't stunt you yeah now it's time romantically to get <laughs> <laughs> you're 19 can you please get married and move? but at the time i was like i don't care i was like i don't really have anyone i need to kiss so i'll just keep collecting Collecting checks, I guess. That's awesome. <laughs> Dang. So, um, but yeah, when I think of high school me, um, I was pr- I was pretty fractured as an individual as far as there were some people I felt really comfortable around and that would just be my very innermost circle of friends. Um, but even like at church, you know, I had moved into the war that we were in when I was 15 and we have... I mean, that Highland Ward is amazing. There are seriously incredible people and I feel more comfortable with them 
now going back than I did even back then because I mean this is just a recurring theme for any gay person I think but now that I am myself I feel love from people so much more strongly because I know I'm, I'm accepted as myself you know um, just really feeling like people love the real Connor and not this person I've really postured themselves to perceive instead of the person that's really me um, this is such an important point because after my son came out to me you know hugged him told him I loved him he'll probably deny this it's funny how we remember different stories but I remember telling him I loved him and him saying mom that means so much to me because I've heard you say that your whole life but now you know who I really am yeah so I love that you're sharing that, you know, how important it is for individuals to extend that love because uh, you feel it so much deeper, right? So much deeper. It feels like I let it penetrate my heart now. I feel like I was so afraid of a lot of people's love before because I knew they didn't like the real me. I genuinely was so concerned with how I postured myself. I was like a master PR person in some way. Um, but there's um there's actually a Brene Brown book called Braving the Wilderness have you ever read it mm -hmm. um it has this concept that I really like that's uh, like what we're talking about of, of how um one of the best things an individual can do is to metaphorically brave the wilderness and what that means is kind of like exploring yourself and your identity outside of your community um, because a lot of people feel safe in their community only because they share the same belief system as that community and there is genuinely a sense of security that comes from that and a lot of people if you're born into um, a community where your security comes from that sh those shared beliefs then you end up only knowing that sense of it and what people need to realize is there is a greater sense of security that you can gain but you have to be willing to abandon the first security in order to get the second one and so braving the wilderness for me was coming out leaving the mormon church really forsaking the identity that wasn't me and saying but this is long after your mission then. I yeah, mean, I, need to, I need to fill in some gaps, huh? Yeah. Let's, let me finish this out and I'll, I'll rewind as far as like the timeline goes. But um, as far as this thought goes, really accepting myself outside of everything. You know, when I came out in uh, beginning of 2018 and definitely had some rough times feeling super isolated. Um, and feeling like, whoa, like what did I just detach myself from, right? The Mormon community is so tight-knit. It extends across state lines. You can go <laughs> anywhere and you can find a ward, right? Um, and the older you get, you just start meeting people everywhere that knows each other and all these people from Arizona come up and everyone from California. Like it just feels like this big web of Mormons. And I felt like I'd unplugged myself from that. And so it was very isolating, but after I, you know, let the isolation polish me, 
feeling really secure in the choices I made and in the identity that I knew was really me, coming back into that is so satisfying. Walking back into those situations as the real Connor and having that confidence of when this person's talking to me and they are re-engaging with me, they really love me. And feeling so much less cynical about life and really feeling like how many good people there really are in the world and how many good Mormons there are too. How many good Mormons there are that really want to love me despite being gay, despite leaving the church. That's a weird word to use, I don't like that, but like the fact that I don't uh, follow the belief system that they're in, right? So really feeling that has been, brought a ton of love and positivity to my life. So kind of timeline though, going back to um, the mission, um, I had a really, really positive mission. Um, I actually, <laughs> this is so funny, I extended my mission for five additional weeks after the two year mark. I was just loving it. Wow. Yeah. Well, you were the AP. I was. Those uh, boys get special attention. <laughs> Let's just talk. I'm a return missionary too, and I hate APs. I said it. Honestly, yeah. I So I served in Montana and Wyoming. Um, and so the, I'm just going to tell the, the dirty details of like what kind of missionary I was because it genuinely is important to the story. Um, I went on a mission and... Uh, trained a missionary right away when my training was done um, and then I got made a zone leader at like four months which was pretty short time to yeah um, you hate to see your girl boss win right you hate yeah. to see her go straight to the top yeah that's what there happened you go. to me everybody hates you <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just kidding um, but what's what's important about that detail and also the fact that I stayed a zone leader for my whole mission, and then during the last six months, I did get asked to be an AP. Um, from like an optics point of view, I was serving a very successful mission, right? It's the kind of mission your grandma's very proud of. She loves to tell her friends about it. Like whose grandma doesn't like to say that their grandson is like an AP, right? We all say that that kind of stuff doesn't matter, but we all know that people think that matters, right? A little bit, a right? little bit, it does. It shouldn't matter, but from an optics point of view, people can get caught up in that. Um, and also just like on a relationship basis, um, I felt really successful. I was close with a lot of missionaries. I felt like um, I really had the perspective that my fellow missionaries were um, like people I had to minister to and that I was there to help them as well. Um, taught a lot of people. I just, like when I think back on my mission, I'm really proud of it. And it was a it was a great experience for me. No regrets about doing that. However, um, I wasn't keeping commandments the whole mission. And the commandment that I was breaking was the law of chastity, which for missionaries in this instance was masturbating. So that was something that I did my whole mission. And the reason why I bring that up is because there are many, many warnings about the pitfalls and the punishments and uh, the way that you'll lose the spirit if you're doing that, right? They try to scare the crap out of you as far as that topic goes. Um, 
And that was kind of the first time that my brain was collecting data as far as, hmm, I'm doing a bad thing, but I am not faltering. I'm actually thriving. I'm doing extremely well. Um, I do remember, I can't remember if it's actually in the scriptures or maybe in Preach My Gospel, but the phrase was, the words will choke out of your mouth if you're breaking the law of chastity as a missionary. And basically saying, if you are, like, this is insane to me, actually. <laughs> like, if you're in a lesson, you will choke on your words because you broke the law of chastity the day before. Like, oh. that's a really crazy thing to say, but I was so invested in the scriptures and the promises and all of that, despite having um, a problem with that, with the law of chastity. I mean, what did that do to your psyche? Honestly, um, genuinely. Even back then, I remember thinking, I don't feel bad about this. I didn't feel bad about it. Um, you know, I had final mission interviews um, that were asking me if I'd ever broken the law of chastity. And like I said, I had set up some in-person experiences to like have a sexual experience with a man a couple times. Um, before your mission. Before my mission. And I never confessed any of those. My point of view was always that it's my business. Mm -hmm. It's not anyone else's business what my um, sexual interactions are. And that's still my perspective. For some reason, even back then, I just didn't feel bad about it. But I, but I, I was still like wrestling with the idea of like, how can this be, right? How come I'm getting taught this, but I don't feel bad about it? At the time, I could compartmentalize it a little bit, but I was noticing, hmm, how come, because I'm breaking this all the time, why am I thriving on my mission, right? So anyway, I come home um, and I was home for about six months um, I had started BYU and then I got the job of a lifetime is what it seemed like at the time. I got a job as a teacher at the MTC, one of the English teachers. And I was so, so excited to have that job because, because I had extended my mission. I, I was definitely one of those people at the time that was like all in, yeah. like, BYU wards can notoriously be like, you know, half the people aren't showing up. No one's doing their calling. I was doing like three callings. I was, I remember one ward, I was like the ward organist and the executive secretary, which is way too much for one person. But I was like ready to just be like one person running the whole ward if I needed to, right? Or the whole church. Exactly. I was not going to slack. <laughs> you were not going to catch me slipping on anything. So, um, definitely was still a power member after my mission. Um, and again, all of these are just more important points because um, another thing that I sometimes hear towards ex-Mormons is kind of this idea that like, oh, well, you must have never really been in it mm -hmm. or you must have never really had a testimony or else you would have never left, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, no, I had what I thought was genuinely an unshakable testimony and had had spiritual experience is where I was like, oh, I think that like God just revealed to me that Joseph Smith is a prophet or whatever I was interpreting those feelings at the time to be. Um, it's really important to note that 
so many of us give ourselves to that church or any church that we may belong to and um, the sincerity behind that and the passion and those, you know, all those moments alone where you spend praying and reading your scriptures or preparing for your callings, like we put our whole selves into that. So to just write someone off that left the church that they never really believed is really minimizes that person's experience and um, also wasn't truthful as to the fact that you can be a strong member and leave, right? That happens mm -hmm. to many of us. So, so, um, so I started working at the MTC and trying to think of exactly when this would have happened. I think it was about, um, it was about a year. I made it about a year teaching at the MTC before um, I downloaded an evil little app called Grinder. You may have heard of her. Her? Yeah, the app. Is it a her? Uh, it's kind of like a bow. It's just like a respect thing. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just call everything I she or her sometimes. For this no, it's okay. Episode. It's okay. it's not that. Um, so you found her? Yeah. Um, the app Grinder. So I downloaded Grinder, and um, because I had started getting sexually curious again, I'm like, hmm. I was like, I wonder what's out there. Or like, times have kind of changed since like three or four years ago when I had first tried to set up like a physical interaction. And my first thoughts were like, oh, I'm just going to look, right? Let's just see who's out there. So what is all this about? You're still not saying I'm gay. This isn't working. This not at all. MTC and church thing. So you're. I was very much like. You're just bored and let's just look on yeah, Grindr. I know, right? Like so gay, but it was seemed very compartmentalized at the time, right? I'm like, oh, I'll just look at it. Um, so one thing led to another and um, I finally had a post-mission physical interaction with a man. And the first time I did it, I just remember thinking like, oh, great. Like you work at the MTC, you have a temple recommend, you have to have a temple recommend to work at the MTC. You have to have an ecclesiastical endorsement to be at BYU and you have to be at BYU to teach at the MTC. Like all these things are just so tied together, right? And I remember thinking, great, I'm gonna walk into work tomorrow and since this is so fresh, I, it happened yesterday, I'm just going to be a black cloud of sin and negativity. Like I'm not gonna be able to do this job, the missionaries will be able to tell and so forth. Guess what happened? I'm gonna guess nothing. Nothing happened. I went to work, taught my lesson like normal, felt positive. Um, you know, had a good discussion with the missionaries, went home feeling great. And so that type of phase continued for a while while I was a closeted person. I was working at the MTC and I was exploring my sexuality very discreetly. Um, I always think that the number one thing that I learned from my mission genuinely was God's perfect love for me and really stretching that idea past the limits of what we may initially think that could mean. To me, it means God loves me. He loves past me, future me, today me, disgusting me, happy me, 
sinful me. He just loves every single version of it. When we first learned that idea, I think that we really try to put a box around it because every other type of love that we experience here on earth is conditional, even from the best people that we know, you know? Whether you had the best parent or the best sibling or the best friend, there is going to be some type of limit on there, right? There's going to be some type of thing that even if you've never done it before, if you did that thing, probably would torch that relationship, even the strongest ones, right? So I think because we only know that, we have a hard time conceptualizing what unconditional love would feel like and what it, like giving ourselves permission to let another entity feel that way about us, right? But on my mission, in order to extend that to other people and really teach other people that God really loves you, we have to start with ourselves. We have to believe that God's love is for us and that every single version of Connor White is loved by God. And that's what I wrapped my head around then and that during this really sort of like um, marinating phase of my life where I'm working at the MTC and uh, discovering my sexuality all while closeted, it actually just started to expound even more. And um, I was thriving at the MTC. Um, the missionaries have to write reviews on you. I would get glowing reviews. Um, we had a little Christmas party with all the MTC teachers and I got voted the favorite coworker. And honestly, again, this is not a brag, but it was just, it was those types of things where I just seriously just remember thinking, um, how is that happening if, if all of this is supposed to be true, right? If I am sinning, how am I doing well at work? How has no one found me out? How has no one just walked by me in the hallway and been like, oh, that guy's vibe is off. Like, it's bad. Because I'm not supposed to have the spirit. That's what it comes yeah, down to, right? Or the right? countenance. Yeah, I'm not supposed to have the countenance. I'm not supposed to have the spirit. Um, and me, like, I'm just a very energetic, like, vibrational person in general. That's how I perceive my world. So if you have a bad vibe to me, I will sense it right away. So I'm thinking, if my vibe is supposedly so bad, how come... I'm not getting feedback on it, right? So that's when um, I even remember just in particular one moment where I was at this person's house that I was having some type of sexual interaction with and like mid interaction, I thought even in this like seedy whatever moment, God loves me. And that's kind of just how my brain works. Um, I just have to like go there with myself, like go to those corners of my mind and say, this part's okay, this part's okay. Like you're, this whole picture that we're creating of who Connor White is, every bit of him is okay. And God loves all aspects of it, not just the shiny parts or the parts that we get praised for, right? Um, and that was really important for me as far as my coming out is coming to terms with the fact that didn't matter what other people thought and um but god loved me no matter what and god works through any of us and that the concept of worthiness um the concept of having the spirit or having the priesthood 
those are all ways that we um, try to limit how an individual can view themselves as an instrument in God's hands. In my belief system, all of us can be used by God to bring goodness into the world at any moment. We don't need the priesthood. We don't need to be a certain gender. We don't need to have a certain sexual orientation. We could have gotten in a big fight an hour ago. We could have, you know, cussed all morning, which is just sometimes how I live my life too. Um, but all those things, um, we punish ourselves. We punish ourselves and then we make up some time limit of how long it needs to have been since our last bad interaction before we're worthy again. Or we say, mm, I did that thing. If I read my scriptures for an hour, if I go to the temple tomorrow, then I'll like reset back to a neutral. And we're always, um, you know, like looking at this countenance that we're supposed to have before we do good. And instead, I wish that all of us could just realize that you are good today. You're good right now. And you don't have to do another thing before you give yourself permission to really feel God's love and to really feel that you're allowed to just be good. You're allowed to do good things for people. And like, let's stop equating how righteous someone is to how much more they're allowed to do. You know, I just think that gatekeeping how God works through us is just not reality. That's not that's not how life works. And I know that firsthand. Yeah. And, and you know, some may not identify that as God, but just some higher source too. Yeah. Just, just anything. And, and, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking back. I think one regret I have raising my kids in a very orthodox religion is that I told them God loved them, but I look back now and I know there was always a condition. Like God mm -hmm. loves you, but cover your shoulders. God loves you, but you need to take pay 10%. God loves you, but you need to go on a mission. You know, it, it, it seemed like there's always conditions. And then, you know, where we are in this space now, I hope my kids know whether they believe in God or a higher source or wherever their spiritual journey has taken them that they are loved as you're expressing 100% because of who they are and not because of anything they did or did not do. Absolutely. That resonates with me. I just think that all of us feel the most secure when, when we know that we're loved for who we are and not who we're expected to be in a community. Um, so one thing led to another and after another year at the MTC, so I ended up teaching at the MTC for two years. Um, I started going to therapy during that period and at first I didn't want to admit I was gay. Then I admitted that I was probably bisexual but I wasn't going to do anything about it. And then I was like, hmm, maybe I am gay but I'll, I'll leave, I'll come out after BYU because I was already, you know, five semesters deep at BYU. And then suddenly it was like, I need to be out now. And so um, I had come out to my parents summer of 2017 um and by august my mom suggested that i um apply to the university of utah and I th were they supportive then that sounds like a supportive suggestion yeah um i think that that was a very compassionate thing for my mom to suggest um i do think that my parents, well, I know, I know my parents want me to be happy. And um, 
something that I've thought a lot about in kind of telling my story is some of the bumps that my family has experienced as far as me coming out. And I sometimes think um, it's, I think it's been harder for my family to accept the fact that I left the church than that I'm gay. Um, and I also think that part of that may be tied to the fact that I was such a power member that um, not just for my family, but other people in my life, I think that it can be hard to see someone that was kind of in my position leave. Um, I don't want to put words in any of their mouths, but like, I think that it could kind of bring some insecurity of like, oh, if that person could fall away, like, who is it going to be next? Or, you know, maybe some, sometimes we have people that we think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning on your testimony. And now that you left, who am I going to lean on now, right? You were kind of making it more secure for me. But yeah, my mom did suggest that I apply to the U. Um, I thought that was a great suggestion. I did, I got in and by January of 2018, I was living in Murray. I had lost 15 religious credits at BYU and- I thought you were gonna say 15 religious pounds. <laughs> I wish. Both, both. <laughs> um, and um, I was out, I was officially out and um, just navigating that space for the first time. Um, there were, I mean, it was so classic in some ways where, you know, you really take um, the reins off of these commandments that we are taught to live growing up in the LDS faith. And you take those reins off uh, like a 23, 24 year old, um, you can swing really hard the other way at first. And I actually think that's okay. I really do. Um, obviously, try not to make any permanent mistakes through that process but it's like a natural consequence and I don't I'm not embarrassed of who I was uh for a year or two after I came out even though there are some things that I'm like okay that was like a little crazy of me right when I when I think of Connor in 2018 and 2019 too I think no that was a person who had really just lost some major pillars of security right I changed jobs I moved I left the school I was at, I left the religion I was at, and I had just told everyone in my life that I was gay, right? That's, that changes a lot of things at once, and that can feel really unstable to anyone if you change that many aspects at once. Um, and I was just trying to find my footing, you know, exploring who I was, who am I as a gay person, and suddenly you're in the community and you're realizing, oh, like, this is what the community is really like, and... Um, just trying to navigate cultural things with gay men and um you know i'm trying alcohol i'm like do i even like alcohol or do i just feel like i have to drink it now that i'm not a mormon um and just all those kind of funny things but um also was processing a lot of feelings from church um i actually got my records removed really quickly i just realized so i i you know as as late as September of 2017, I was working at the MTC. January is when I, uh, January of 2018 is when I moved to Salt Lake, and by April I had got my records removed. And um, first of all, my bishop at the time, um, he was in the Highland Ward, also could not have been nicer. When I told him in person that I was gay, 
Um, I can't really remember the logistics of, oh, I think I was living at home at the time while I was going to BYU for a minute there. That's why I was talking to him, but could not have been nicer. Um, and a really good example of a good man who understands um, the concept of the love of Jesus Christ that Mormons try to embody. Um, he was just very compassionate towards me, and I really respect that about him. Um, but I did submit my request to get the records removed. Um, and for anyone who's unfamiliar with what that process looks like for endowed members, um, I you submit the request, and then um, I believe it was my bishop that called me. Yeah, it was the bishop. And the way he explained it was that he was going to submit the request, and then 30 days from when he submits it is when it becomes official. And during that 30-day period, um, you can change your mind. And it's just kind of like a safeguard they have in place for endowed members just because the church views getting your records removed as obviously very extreme. It's self-excommunication. Um, and so I told them to submit it. Um, and then I remember when I got the letter, I opened it up and it's very brief and it says something like, for all intents and purposes, we consider you like not a member and your all your covenants and priesthood have been taken away. And I had been thinking about the letter and I realized before it came that there was just like a small fraction of my brain, maybe 5% that was considering, hmm, am I going to feel different when the gift of the Holy Ghost leaves me? Am I going to feel different as like a Gentile or whatever we're calling them these days, <laughs> like someone who's not a member, right? Yeah. When I was in the, the church, yeah, the way we talk about ex-members or people that aren't in the church, like, wow, we are just so elitist sometimes, right? The dogma that just runs rampant in any religion, but definitely the Mormon church, the, the jargon that we use of like, this is the only true church and how often we emphasize that idea, right? This is the only way and how many metaphors I've heard of like, yeah, there's just like lots of different ways up the mountain, but like the Mormon church is the only way that will get you to the very top, right? Really kind of um, unpleasant ways we talk about the gospel and for the good things it's supposed to do in our lives. But um, so when I read that letter, I just remember this little like, ooh, am I going to feel weird? I finished reading the letter and I felt exactly the same imagine that I felt exactly the same and that just was like some people are always you know some of my ex-mormon friends they wonder yeah I left the church but like I don't need to get my records removed and I'm not saying you have to but for me personally it actually was very liberating I was surprised how liberated I felt after that moment because I could say even more confidently I'm not a member of the church, I'm not baptized, I don't have priesthood, I don't have any of these things, but listen to me talk about how much God loves you and let me pray for you or let me give you a blessing. All of those things are things I still feel qualified to do if I was asked to. Um, and those are just spiritual practices that all of us are allowed to keep in our little spiritual utility belt, I guess. I didn't really mean to make this topic so much about my own spiritual beliefs, but they they really are there. And that's that's kind of just like, again, building on the fact that 
I was such a religious person before I came out. And sometimes I like to say that I graduated from the Mormon church because I've met people who they're trying not to be patronizing, but they're like, oh, we have different standards because they know I've left the church. And I'm like, no, yeah, I guess we do have different standards, but mine are higher than yours. (laughs) Mine are higher than yours because you believe in, um, you know, a view of how God views us where um, men are more important than women and that the queer community doesn't uh, get access to covenants and that, um, you know, the history of racism within the church and those different things. But I believe in a God that treats all of us equally. He works through all of us and we're truly all equal in God's eyes and whether God's a man or a woman doesn't really matter to me. Um, but I do use that language sometimes, just old Mormon habits. I'm sure they love that when you say, oh, I graduated. <laughs> right? That sounds extra patronizing. <laughs> um, but like those concepts are so important to me. That's what I'm trying to say. They were so important to me that they led me out of the church. The concept that we're all equal is, yeah. is like a concept that just drew me right out of it. Because I was like, I need a, I need more room to live this principle. Yeah. And I can't live this in under these constraints. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of incredibly complex history in the mm-hmm. Mormon church. For me personally, I mean, my son came out in 2011, and for years I thought I would be the change. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I was going to stay, and my relationship with the church was pretty, pretty problematic. Some of the things that we experienced at the hands of the church but I still really felt passionate that this was my calling, you know, show up, I'm gonna be the change. And you know, after about nine, nine and a half years, I realized I'm not gonna be the change. And so for me, (laughs) I'm not gonna be the change. They don't care. No one cares, no one cares. I'm actually very obnoxious. Can we emphasize that? Yeah, they don't care. But they love that you think that you're making a change. Yeah, they, well, they love me. I was like, told that a lot. I feel like when I feel like um, a progressive Mormon is actually the church's favorite thing because they're like a buffer to the reality of the church, right? When mm. we see active Take members, away the attention. Yeah, you see an active member person. that's willing to like really stand up for Black Lives Matter or like really try to explain like um, that trans people should not be subjected to violence and they should be treated equal. All those types of things. It's like a great PR stunt for the church because the church doesn't believe that. But right. it's nice to have a progressive member saying it. it it's just, it's this little buffer, yeah, right? It gives so people, people like hope. you are amazing for the church. Oh, gosh, really? No. <laughs> yeah, welcome. that's true. But, you know, and I, for me, like, as a missionary, I taught it was the only true church, mm-hmm. as you just so eloquently shared, right? And when I have six children, I raise them all the same. And I did think it was a choice, an abomination before my son came out. But immediately I realized that was so not true. And that God created all of my children equally, right? And when I realized they'd all been raised the same, and there's no place for my gay son in the church, all of a sudden that only true church, it's a deal breaker. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Like, I'm like, I'm pretty simple minded. I'm just like. No, you're not. You know what? Done. 
I will try to ch- to make the change or to be a voice yeah. for other queer kids that are sitting in the pews or however we play those gymnastics to stay and make a change and we're needed and the things we tell ourselves. But at the end of the day, it's very clear, as you just said, the inequality. Yeah, I mean, the church is not a democracy, right? It doesn't really matter what the ground floor members think. Yeah, we don't vote. We're not voting on anything. It's always very striking when I hear general conference because it's such a stark reminder of what the church really teaches. And obviously there are some gorgeous general conference talks, but... Oh, I thought you were going to say there's some gorgeous general authorities. <laughs> there are some gorgeous people getting a podcast right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, Connor's very good looking. <laughs> no. With his wrists. Jill is. Um, but... Oh, yeah, to your point, like, when I when I came to terms with the fact that I was gay, and it really was more just, like, a, a genuine, like, exploratory data-collecting process for me, like, am I gay, mm-hmm. right? When I came to the conclusion, okay, I'm definitely gay, it was almost overnight for me at that point as far as leaving the church because once I had that data point with God loves me perfectly, being in the Mormon church, knowing that I would never be able to get married in the temple, that I would never be able to have a romantic relationship with a man that basically there was not a place for me in the celestial kingdom it was a self-respect thing it was well then this church isn't true because if it was true there would be a equal place for me amen 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 and that's what i feel like we should sing (laughs) let's do it (laughs) (laughs) like that's just something that um You know, I've heard um, some other people that have left the church. Um, I guess what I didn't realize being an ex-Mormon is that there are some people that have left the church that kind of still believe that it's true, but just like have shamed themselves from going anymore. To me, I've never looked back leaving the church. Doesn't mean I haven't had struggles because I absolutely have, but I've never questioned whether the church was true or not once I left because it was out of that exact belief I just said is God loves me so much that if this really was a true church, there would be a spot for Connor White in it. Yeah. And that's what I hope everyone uh, can know inside of themselves is that, that everyone is worthwhile. Everyone's worthy. Everyone is allowed to see the table. Absolutely. I, I don't know. I've never met someone with your like, confidence level I don't know it's just different because like you said on your mission you were so successful but you were doing things you were told you shouldn't do in the MTC same thing right but the underlying message you always felt and knew is that you were loved and and that is so powerful like whether you it's God or whatever like you knew you had value and you gave yourself permission you had to have give yourself permission to dismiss those voices because they're pretty strong. Yeah, I've, I've really thought about this a lot because I do recognize that that one aspect of my coming out is really different from a lot of people's. That um, doesn't, you know, I've obviously experienced shame. I kind of went over how insecure I was like in junior high and high school and stuff. But like the idea that God hates me because I'm gay has maybe never even crossed my mind um 
but I did understand that like society would judge you if you were gay, right? Um, so I don't know where that comes from, but I'm not mad about it. It's been yeah. a nice um, blessing. And if anything, I feel like something I really try to amplify now as like an out gay man is that liberation is not a one-way street. Liberation is definitely a two-way street. If someone around you or someone in your circle decides to come out or decides to be more authentic to themselves, it gives you permission to be more true to yourself. Because think of like some of your favorite, most down-to-earth people. Don't you just feel so comfortable being yourself around them, right? It's because um, we liberate everyone around us when I, when we decide I'm just going to be me and what that also means is you get to be you around me, right? And I hope that one of the biggest things I could do through the rest of my life is just try to help all the people that I love. Let them know it's okay to be them. I have a lot of non-gay friends, but they still um, have different things that they're going through with how to be more authentic to themselves, whether it's... Um, you know their feelings about the church and leaving that's kind of like a common topic right now for a lot of um, my millennial friends but um, the way that some men posture themselves like towards being overly masculine or just like people just hiding things that don't matter just like really showing each other that you're allowed to be you <laughs> yeah I just feel like sometimes we all play roles yeah and it's almost like I was just talking to a friend at lunch. It's almost like we're in the Truman show. Absolutely. <laughs> and you have to sometimes step out of the show mm -hmm. and evaluate and readjust. And, and then that is beautiful when you have friends and people in your life that you know you can break down with or cry with or share your insecurities with and you're safe. Yeah. I mean, that I love how you say it's a two way street, you know, when you find those people. Yeah. So, Connor. With this confidence and with how you've moved on <clears throat> in certain aspects of your life. Sorry, <clears throat> I got a little frog. <clears throat> water? I don't know. Should we all take I a need sip? CPR. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think my voice is back. Do you want to share with the audience a few things? The joy you found now that you've come out and moved on into this new space in your life. Yeah. So something really positive that happened to me in like the last 18 months is um, I took a job um, in Lehigh in February of 2021. Wait, what year is it? 2022? Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> okay. we lost two years. So, it's so We confusing. definitely met in 2021. You're okay, right. I'm telling you. You're right. You. Sorry. I, honestly, we I did not go out in 2020. It is not my business what year it is. That's just not something I'm thinking about anymore. <laughs> um, so I started this job in 2021. And um, my experience working in at Utah companies, like think about it. I've, I worked for the church, right? Um, in some ways, I can blend in really easily because I'm a white man. And I always try to remember that. Even though I'm a gay man, I'm a white man, right? And and I can kind of, if I just take out my little earrings or something, kind of blend in at work and not get questions and um, 
you know, some days if you just looked at me as like, okay, she just kind of looks like some kid that goes to BYU, not like an out gay person, right? Um, but I'm used to the certain level of um, Mormonism penetrating the workforce and being at work and there's just like still a Mormon culture even at work with your employees and stuff, right? I worked at a company where there were commandments, church commandments being enforced at work. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like, but that's, I would not say that's uncommon. Like it's kind of just. Well, it's not uncommon, but when you're so in, you don't see it. Yes, exactly. Like I've been to a work thing lately with my husband and every table around me was talking about the church callings they Mm -hmm. had and what their kids were doing on missions. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like it's everywhere. Totally. Like, um, so for work right now, um, I mostly do events and with event planning, uh, one small but necessary detail we always talk about is alcohol, right? You're like um, working with clients and stuff and you're hosting an event, you're gonna have alcohol there. Um, But I worked for a company where um, some of the management had, it was because they were Mormon, were not letting alcohol be at events and even though that's a small thing, it's just um, a really obvious way that Mormon culture gets reinforced outside of the church, right? We're at work. And um, there's even this sort of viewpoint that they're right, right? They feel good that they're limiting the non-Mormons from having the alcohol because in their minds, this is the right choice and like we're just making the better choice for you. To me, I'm thinking, no, you actually don't understand non-Utah work culture. If I'm inviting people to this event and they're gonna show up, yeah, they expect there to be some beer there. And that's kind of um, American networking is they, there needs to be some alcohol involved. And um, that's just a small example of, of how that can get reinforced. Anyway, the point I'm getting at is I took this job um, and started working for an incredible team, just one of the best teams I've ever had. and. Um, was kind of at this point in my life where I was, um, I felt like I was being very reductive about my personality. I was like comfortable just being like the gay guy, right? Token gay guy, making little gay jokes about myself. And I was, um, had just dived, uh, dove so far into fleshing that part out of me that I had abandoned a lot of other aspects of who I was because I was trying to just be fully okay with that and also like flesh it out. Um, But while I worked for that company, um, there were a couple sort of key experiences that happened. But um, one time it was June of 2021, um, they asked me kind of on the fly if I would talk about pride on a company meeting. And um, I was like, sure. I don't think I'd ever spoken about my feelings as a gay man uh, to that many people before. Um, But the response was extremely positive. Um, I just remember I was getting so many messages from people who I knew were LDS, um, very much in support of who I was, wanting to support me at work, wanting to let me know that they were an ally. And I was kind of shocked by that, honestly. I had... I think that I was really cynical at that point in my life of how accepting some religious people would ever be of me and was kind of just writing them off. And I've definitely had phases where I just 
kind of felt like two middle fingers raised towards the whole Mormon church, right? Just because it just seems like such a big beast to try and tackle. Um, but because I got so many positive responses from that, then it just continued. Um, during my time at that company, I had so many one-on-one, -on -one really tender conversations with a lot of Mormons at that company where um, it's honestly just really cute to think about how many people would pull me aside and said, hey, like, can I ask you about something? And they usually look kind of nervous and I, I might be getting nervous because I'm like, what are they going <laughs> to ask that's making them so nervous? And then it's something as like benign as, oh, I have a gay friend I haven't talked to in a while. How, how should I reach out to them? Right? Just something so cute and normal. <laughs> but um, it really just, um, it made me feel so seen at work. It made me feel like, okay, we're not just being neutral about this, but we're being enthusiastic and we're voicing our support of you. And I didn't realize how much I needed that. I think that I was at a point in my life where I didn't want to admit that I needed that because it admitted relying on somebody else to give it to me, right? I was only comfortable with needing the things that I could give to myself. But at this point now being able to say, yeah, I need my community support and I, and I want my allies to make themselves known and I feel more relaxed and happier when I know that you're on my team and that you're telling me. So um, being at that company and being around all those great people, like that's just a major thing I think of when I reflect on that, the year of uh, work I did at that company is how um, loving those people were and how they really set me free. And going from being so reductive about my personality um, the fact that they were able to see me as a gay man and say like, this version of you kind of makes me emotional. <laughs> like this version of you we're so okay with, like there's something about being at work that feels so vulnerable as like a gay man to me. Cause it's like, it's such a like <laughs> patriarchy ridden place anyway, being at work, right? Just men control that. But having people say, we love you and we want you, this version of you here, um, it allowed me to be multifaceted. Suddenly I, I, it set me free as far as who I was as a gay man. And I started grabbing back onto my old talents and back onto my old hobbies and really seeing what my next plane was of like, what is the most fully fleshed out version of Connor White, right? This, the gay thing was a big part for so long because I actively stomped it out. And yeah, I needed to do some catch up to get that, um, you know, part of me back up to standard of where the other parts that I had worked on for so long were. But now that it was caught up and I'd spent a lot of time on it, it was time to focus on the big picture, right? Who is Connor White? And um, I feel really, really happy now, really happy. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, gosh, I always forget how it goes. The opportunity of a lifetime is being who you are. And that's something I always try to remember is that you are the only person who will ever get to be Jill Hazard Rowe. The only person, right? So we can all spend our lives wishing we were someone else or trying to conform to someone else, but the most unique experience we could ever give ourselves is to just honor who we are and 
really devote ourselves to being authentic to ourselves and who is this person and respecting ourselves enough to be willing to flesh out any part of us that's there. Um, and that's what I've just tried to shift my focus to in the last year is, you know, what is the big picture of me and um, what ways have I been limiting myself because I wanted to be seen as a gay man for so long, but really the bigger picture is I want to be seen as Connor. I love that. I mean, and what I hear you say is like every human needs to feel needed and they also need to feel celebrated. Yeah. And it sounds like your work, that, that was such a valuable time because you felt both of those. Totally. That's such a good word, celebrate. I think that that's something that we think is like a bonus, but it's actually totally necessary. <laughs> it is. We don't celebrate each other enough. Yeah. Well, I, oftentimes when I end these podcasts, first of all, is there anything else that you're thinking no. that you want to share? I don't want to cut it short, but I do like my guests to give advice to two um, populations. One, what would you tell young people that are in the queer community, whether they're out or not? And then what would advice would you give parents when their child comes out? Um, okay, so my advice I would give to young people is that, um, it truly just gets better. It really does. Um, I remember feeling absolutely certain that coming out was not ever going to be a possibility for me. Any other kind of life was a life path for me, but this one wasn't. Um, so just knowing that if you find yourself in that situation, it definitely can get better. And um, I think it is the most beautiful path and that's why it'll end up happening to you if you allow it to, because I think that the most beautiful things are supposed to happen to all of us. Um, as far as parents, um, I think it goes back to what you were just saying, like um, something that I've had a hard time expressing in my life to people that care about me um, or just have a hard time getting across to them is that I need to be celebrated. Maybe it's because I'm a Leo, maybe it's because I'm an ENFP, I don't know, but I need to, I can't just have neutral supporters when it comes to the gay thing about me, at least for a while in my life. We'll see what multifaceted Connor needs, but I just need people to say it. I need people to show it. I want to see the pride flags. I want to um, like have the words of affirmation. It just went neglected for so long that I think there needs to be a lot of positive reinforcement to make up for those years of neglect of not being able to be seen in that way, right? To go from a neglectful to just kind of neutral and like oh yeah we're okay with it but then it doesn't get talked about it doesn't really do it doesn't repair the damage that you felt during those years where you were oppressing that part so being really celebrated and making it 120 percent obvious that we love this about you and that um we love you for being gay not in spite of it okay let's do a cheers cheers love connor cheers affirmation Affirmation. Love, Eliza. Little sip, sip. 
Well, I don't think it was an accident, Connor, that you and I ran into each other in that awkward by the fountain drinks in Cubbies in Lehigh, Utah. <laughs> and um, I'm glad I was wearing that pride oh, shirt. So you should wear that everywhere, but then people j will just know. Really? Like, is that not obnoxious? Like, oh, no. Jill, no? did you listen to anything I just said? Yes, I just yes, said the yes. Obvious. I do. But yeah, I'm glad I did have, I don't even remember wearing that shirt that day. It so so that's, that's, um, that was the thing. That was like this just sweet, genuine connection. And um, I agree. I'm glad that we're friends. Me too. And I'm glad that you came into the studio today and shared your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really positive thing for me. Well, now we need to get Connor's story out there, right? <laughs> so all you listeners of the Human Stories family, let's um, listen and let's share these with our friends, our neighbors, with other queer, you know, kids that might need to hear a Connor story, parents where their kids just came out. I mean, it does get better all around, whether you're a parent, a child. Um, I'm so grateful I have a gay son and for the things I've learned in the last 11 years almost. So anyway, cheers again to you, cheers. Connor. Love you. We're all like, okay. Thanks so much, Jill. <laughs> Love Such you a all. pleasure to be on the show. Absolutely. And this is Jill Hazard Rowe with Human Stories.